47. Jeremiah chapter 47. Let's start start with a word of prayer today, so let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be here today, Lord, and thank you for the fact that you've given us such a heavenly calling, Lord. I pray that you just bless today's service, and I think of the uh, activities to follow. I pray that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. In Jeremiah chapter 47 and verse 6, we read here, Oh, Mike's not working this morning. I guess I'm going to have to do a little bit of, of talking with the microphone, walking and talking. Um, it says in 47, Jeremiah chapter 47, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Philistines before Pharaoh smote Gaza. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, waters rise up out of the north, and shall be an overflowing flood, and shall overflow the land, and all that is therein, the city and them that dwell therein, and then the men shall cry, and all the inhabitants of the land shall howl. At the noise of the stamping of the hooves of his strong horses, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of his wheels, the father shall not look back to their children for feebleness of hands. Because of the day that cometh to spoil all the Philistines and cut off from Tyrus and Sidon every helper that remaineth, for the Lord will spoil the Philistines and the remnant of the country of the Kaftar. Baldness has come upon Gaza and Ashkelon is cut off from the remnant of their valley. How long wilt thou cut thyself? Wilt thou cut thyself? O thou sword of the Lord. This is the verse I want to concentrate on. How long will it be ere thou be quiet? Put up thyself into the scabbard and rest and be still. How can it be quiet since the Lord hath given it charge against Ashkelon and against the seashore? There hath he appointed it. I read this verse and as I was reading this verse, I started thinking about America itself. I started thinking about the importance of Christians in society today. If you're going to, if I was going to title this lesson, I would title it "Awake, Awake." So you say, "Wait a minute, brother! Are you trying to go Jehovah Witness on me?" No, I'm talking about the church. The church needs to awake. Why do I say that? For so long we've been lulled into this sleep to think that the church is not needed. So many times it talks about even in, in the Old Testament about tares coming into the church. And what has happened is, is these tares, and because the church has been asleep, these tares have come in. And what has grown up? Has it been real people that have been, that are saved and serving God? No, instead what has grown up is tares within the church. If you read through history, you read about the Welsh Revival, and you read about uh, the Great Awakening of America, you find what happened was people that were not saved, that thought they were saved, got saved. Now, I'll repeat that so you can understand what I'm saying. People that thought they were saved, that weren't saved, got saved. And why was that? It was because the church awakened some preacher somewhere, took them and showed them one of the most important things, which is very important, and that is the law. What do you mean by the law? Today, uh, people today, they take uh, most modern evangel, uh, um, uh, evangelize this way. They believe that, hey, God's got this wonderful plan for you. And if you just follow God, everything will just turn out okay. Listen to me. Sometimes when you get saved, things are not always going to go right. 
And I'm going to tell you that from personal experience. There's people in this church, this very church, that are saved, know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, hopefully are living by faith. And guess what happens? Their life is not exactly the way everybody would say it would be picture perfect. But that's not the reason we get saved. Pastor, why do you think we get saved? What's the reason for salvation? Sin. It shows that our righteousness... Hello, how you folks doing? Good to have you this morning. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Here we find in Jeremiah that he was asking, when is the sword of the Lord going to continue to stay quiet? And we think about America today. If you went back probably 30 or 40 years ago, you'll find that there was a difference in attitude towards Scripture. Does anybody know when they took the Ten Commandments out of the schools? Yes. Yes. Nope. I didn't know this real well because... (laughs) 62. 1980 is when they took the Ten Commandments out of the schools. So we've had a society... I was born in 1980. I'm giving my age. But I was born in 1980, and I went to public schools. I know that there's a generation of kids that have no idea what moral absolutes are. What is the idea of a moral absolute? It is the belief that there is one way to do something right. What is the Ten Commandments? Can somebody give me one of the Ten Commandments? If you need help, turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Give me one Ten Commandments. Mohan? Oh, go ahead. Jessica, go ahead. Thou shalt not kill, okay. But you know, as Christians and as unsaved people, there is a sense that people don't understand. The Bible says that if you have hatred in your heart towards someone, guess what? You've already committed murder in your heart. How many in society ever hated somebody? I have. Am I a murderer? <laughs> You murder someone once, what happens? You become a what? Murderer. I've had hate in my heart. You see, Brother Harold, you've grown up in the church. You've, you got saved at the age of 12. You've done some things that are right in your life. Uh, you, you got married. You have a wonderful family. You mean to tell me that you deserve hell? Yes, I do. Can somebody else give me one of the Ten Commandments? Go ahead, Don. Thou shalt not have any graven images. You know, a graven image doesn't just have to be something that you created and put as set as your God. Graven image could be anything that you put above God that's an image. A sports star? Children? I'm the graven image. <laughs> Maybe it's a, a, a picture of someone, something or someone. It doesn't just have to be that. Can somebody give me else another of the Ten Commandments? Yes. Dasha. <laughs> you know, it's a good thing you guys are together because I'm telling you right now, you guys would have some problems. He, he needs a lot of help. He really does. I've known him for a long time. He needs a lot of help. No, what does he, what'd they say? What'd she say? How many people worship the Almighty Buck over God? Look at this church today. We're having a special Sunday. We're going to have a good time today. We're going to have some, a huge pinata outside. We're going to have a lot of good eats. But look at this church. Where's everybody at? 
they're worshiping something way better, they think, than where they should be. How many's worshipped things over God? How many's put something over God? I have. I have. Man, there's a lot of wait. I tell you, first of all, we got the murder. We got the uh, uh, no other gods before. Man, we're, I'm really doing bad, ain't I, Pastor? What else do I got going on here? Thou shalt not steal. Little things? Now I have to admit, I was a bad little kid. Oh, don't don't talk to Brother Juan. Uh, I know. Oh, brother, you've already committed the hatred in your heart. You're murderer now, brother. Here you go. Here's another thing: stealing. Now everybody says, "Well, I don't. I'm not a thief. Are oh, you not? Let me ask you a question." When you're at work, or maybe there's a, something that you know you shouldn't have, just taking a pen from work, do you think that's stealing? Do you think that's stealing? How does God look at stealing? Man, I know that I was a thief, little kid. One time I stole about $100 from Dad when I was about 10. $100. When I was about 10. Dad was about ready. Give me what for? And he did give me what for. <laughs> he was horribly mad. But you know what? I was a thief. Man, I tell you what. what am, look at Brother Harold here, man. He's really got something wrong. How many else would say they were a thief in here? Man, we really got some problems here. We look at the law and really, what does it show us? The Bible says that the law is what, Artudo? It is a... Thank you, Artudo. Schoolmaster, it shows us who we are. It should be just like this. When you get saved and you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it's not because you're, oh, I need to, I need to have this wonderful feeling in my life. No, when you get saved, it's because you realize that you are not worthy to go to heaven. You're not worthy and that your sin is nothing but, I mean, your righteousness is nothing as filthy rags. You say, Brother Harold, what are you trying to say? Well, let's, let's stop. We've got still a few more commandments to go here. We, have, we can mention one that men need to really keep their eyes on. The Bible says that thou shalt not commit what? Adultery. Now you say, Brother Harold, I'm as faithful to my wife as possible. Some of you might say, well, I'm not married in here. I don't know. Uh, I'm not, I can't commit adultery. You can commit fornication. You can do things that are wrong. But the Bible says that if a man look after a woman and lust after her in her heart, guess what? He has committed adultery already in his heart. Oh my goodness. We're men, really. So you mean to tell me that no man... Every man, I guarantee you, every man has looked after a woman and lusted in his heart. Man, we give one commandment after another commandment after another commandment, and what do we find? We are what? Guilty. Right? The Bible, the Bible is very clear. You say, well, wait a minute, Brother Harold, that's not helping my feelings, Indy. I, you know, I, I, I'm concerned about my feelings and how I feel. Really? Do you know that God is your judge? Someday, God is going to... You stand before God. It says, It is appointed unto man once to die, 
And after this, the what? Judgment. We stand before a holy and a just God. Let me ask you this question. I'm going to give a silly, not really a silly illustration, but I'm going to compare God as our judge to maybe a judge here in this world. Think about it for a second. Brother Lewis, he's back there. He's a tough guy, right? Let's say Brother Lewis back there. He would go out and Brother Juan just did something really bad to him. And he would go out and he would murder Brother Juan. Horrible. Obscure the thought. But listen to me. If he stood before a judge someday and the judge knew, the jury came back and they said, Lewis, you're guilty of murder. And he would stand up. He says, okay, judge. He says, well, I know you're guilty. The judge looks and I know you're guilty. But you know what? We need to worry about your feelings first. What would happen to that judge if he would say that first? Would he be on the bench for very much longer? No, he wouldn't. They would throw him off the bench because why? It's not his job to worry about his feeling. It's his job to worry about who's guilty and who's not. And when you stand before a holy and a just God someday, let me tell you something. He's not going to worry about your feelings. He's going to worry about if you're guilty or you're not. So we we stack up the Ten Commandments here and we look at the law. What does it tell us? We've covered adultery, covered murder. The Bible says that if you have any other gods before thee, man, whoa, we're guilty. The Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. How many in here is that a lie? Alright, I have to agree with that one. I've lied. Man, the law stacks up against us in Exodus chapter 20. How can the sword of the Lord stop? How can His judgment stop? It can't. How can we, mere mortal sinners, appear before a holy and a just God and say, I should get into heaven? Why should God let us into heaven? He looks at our righteousness. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. Let me tell you something, folks. That if your righteousness was compared to Jesus Christ's righteousness, who would win? Who would win? Your righteousness over Jesus Christ's righteousness? I think not. I think the only righteousness that would win would be the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so when you stand before a holy and just God, as it says that every man shall give an account of himself to God, and you stand before that holy and just God, what would you have to say of yourself? God would look at you and say, Guilty! Guilty! The Bible says in Revelation chapter 21.8. Let's turn there. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. Anybody know that verse from memory? It says in verse 8, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and adulterers. And what does it say? Uh-oh. We're in trouble, aren't we? All liars. Maybe we could go through some of those other things and really look at what we were. What we are. 
God brings the law before us, we have one punishment. One punishment. And that is hell. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let me tell you something, folks. When you stand before a holy and just God, we have no excuse. We are guilty. And so what does God have to say to us as it says in Revelation? Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Is there a solution? Are we contemned? Or is there a way out? What do you think, Artudo? You think there's a way out? I think there is. Does anybody know what that way out is? Jesus Christ. John 3.16. Anybody quote it for me? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be what? Saved. Listen to me, folks. Jesus Christ paid the price. He sets you down and He says, Hey, I, you don't have to go to hell. I've already paid the price. I've given you that opportunity and you today can now go to heaven on my behalf. Think about the most wonderful thing you could ever receive. And this is far better. You think about that for a second. Sarah, have you ever done anything really bad? Yeah, yeah. Mom's like, uh-huh. Yeah, huh? Sure has. I'm sure there were some times, oh, Sarah, you're really in trouble this time. Can you imagine if you did the worst thing you'd ever done to your parents? And Stephanie comes up to your mom and says, I'll take her punishment. And they laugh. They laugh. Maybe that's not going to happen. But listen to me. Jesus Christ looked at your sin. He says, I love you so much. And even though you're a dirty, rotten sinner, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. He looked at you and He saw your filthiness. He saw your wickedness. And He says, I still love them. But they have to do something. They have to humbly come back to Me. There's a story in the Old Testament about the Israelites. The Israelites were very stubborn people. The Bible calls them stiff-necked. You know what it means to be stiff-necked? It means you got a real hard neck and you don't want to turn. Right? Your kids are like that sometimes. One, amen. Your kids are like that sometimes. Maybe you were like that with your mom and dad. I'm not going to do this. Right? Very hard-hearted. But the Israelites were like that. And you know what? What happened was the Israelites were wicked, wicked sinners, just like you and me. And they did not want to do what God told them to. And so instead of doing the right thing, instead of doing what God had asked them to do, they instead went out and did their own thing. So God had to punish them. You know what He did? He sent a whole bunch of poisonous serpents and snakes. I personally don't like snakes. I don't like poisonous snakes. I don't like unpoisonous snakes. I don't know why anybody would want a snake as a pet. I think they're nasty, gross, and nothing I want to do with. But he sent in a whole bunch of poisonous snakes. And those snakes bit 
All the Israelites. So that they were sick and they were going to die. And God says, alright. Alright. You want to be saved from, being, from uh, dying? All you have to do, and He says, told Moses, I want you to put this serpent up on a stake. And anybody, it was a molded out of, uh, I want to say bronze. Is that right, Pastor? Was it golden? One of the two. And he says, anybody, what was it? Bronze. And he says, anybody that looks at this serpent on this stake here will be saved. Sure enough, people that were humble enough to realize they had done wrong looked up at the serpent and what did they find? Salvation. They were healed. The poison was no longer in the body. But there were still those that looked down and didn't want to look at the serpent. I'm not wrong! I don't got anything wrong with me! There's nothing that I've done that is wrong! I'm not going to look at that serpent! So they kept their head down. And they died. Listen to me. Some of you today. Some of you today take that same very thing that God has given you. Jesus Christ who He put on a cross. God put Jesus Christ on that cross so you as a person could accept His gift. Some of you today, you don't want to look at that cross. Instead, what have you done? I can do it on my own. I'm good enough. I'm righteousness enough. Isaiah says that our righteousness is filthy rags. And he's talking about filthy rags. He wasn't just talking about your oil-stained rag that you might wipe your hands with. He was talking about the same rags that the leprous person would use to wipe the bodily fluids off of his body. That's what filthiness was talking about. Your righteousness is just like that. You say, how can I know for sure that I can go to heaven? How can I know that I can accept Jesus Christ as our Savior? Brother Lewis brought this up last week. Listen to me. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen to me. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's a change of heart. You are going this way. You're sinning. You're happy with your sin. You're okay with your sin. There's nothing wrong with my sin. And then, once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, instead you repent of that same wickedness and you look towards Jesus Christ. What can I do for Jesus? What can I live for Jesus? And your life is changed. No longer are you that same person anymore. The Bible says, Behold, all things have become what? New! When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, it's not just something that we say, Oh, there's just one more thing I can add to my list of things I know I need to do. No, it's a change of life. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's a change of self. You say, oh, I don't know if God could ever change me. Listen to me, He can. How can you say that God can never change me when He was able to raise somebody from the dead? Aren't you dead? You sure are. You're condemned. You are on your way to hell whether you like it or not. Heard someone say, 
that they didn't believe in God, so they didn't believe in hell. Let me ask you this question. Just because you don't believe there's a law doesn't mean that there isn't. Someday you will stand before a holy and a just God. And He'll ask, why? Why did you not accept the gift? Why did you not accept Jesus Christ, the One who gave His life for you? And you'll have no excuse. No excuse. God gave His Son, what? Not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Saved. Do you want to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? It starts with a humbleness of heart. Saying, I know I can't go to heaven on my own. I know that I'm wicked. I know that I deserve hell. But I'm coming to Jesus and repenting Him this way. I'm no longer going to go this way. The Bible says, except ye repent. What does repent mean? Repent means to turn your back on your sin. Turn your back on the way you're going and going this right way. You know the Bible says that God repented? Do you know that? God repented of sin? No. God repented of destroying the world. He said, I'm not going to do that. I thought I was going to do this, but no, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm no longer going to think about doing this. I'm going to do this. Listen to me. When you repent of your sins, you're no longer thinking about this. Men, you're changing your thought life. Saying, God, I no longer want to live like this. I don't want to have this type of attitude. Women, you're not going to be the gossips. You're not going to be a nag. Say, I'm going to live what Jesus Christ wants me to do today. Your life is going to be totally different. There was a song that we used to sing as kids. It went, The old robe was dirty, all tattered and torn. But the new robe was spotless and never been worn. Well, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe. And put on the new. Listen to me, folks. How long are you going to wait? As it says in Jeremiah chapter... Turn back there to our Scripture. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 47. How long is the sword of the Lord going to be quiet? Listen to me. Nobody's guaranteed a lease in life. I was talking to a young person the other day at my workplace. And he was telling me, anybody's ever heard the phrase or the anagram Y-O-L-O? How many know what that means? I got a bunch of old fogies in here. Jessica laughed at me. What does that mean, Jessica? You only live once. And that's the way that you're supposed to live. Live like there's no tomorrow, right? Live like you don't care! Because you only live once. You're absolutely right. You do only live once. But do you know what? After that is the judgment. You can either die on your sins or you can live with Jesus Christ. It's up to you. Make that decision today. Let's stand together in a close of prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we're thankful for Your Word and thankful for how much it shows us
that through the law we need you. I pray, Lord, that these people that have taken the grace and mercy of God and his long suffering will not tempt God. Lord, but today they would come to that saving knowledge of you. If someone's not saved, Lord, I pray that they would come to one of us. They know pastor or me or some of the other that maybe maybe a visitor that has come with a friend. And they would come to say, I need to be saved today. Lord, I pray that your will would be done and it would be accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen.